0: Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where Lewis and I bring on people that we want to learn from. Our topics and guests are wide ranging from professors to entrepreneurs in all fields, to people just doing good things for the world. Lewis, who do we have on the show today?
1: Hey Kyle, in this episode, we bring on my friend Martin Helke. I met Martin at my engineering co-op at Mercedes-Benz U.S. International just outside of Tuscaloosa. At the time, Martin was working there at human resources in a pretty cool job. It was up to him to do performance management. Basically that meant he was choosing or involved in the process for determining which engineers would become managers. I thought that would be a great interview content for our show because a lot of our listeners probably are in that position. They're either engineers, they're working for a company and they might want to move up in the next couple of years. So we I thought he would be a good person to kind of bring out some knowledge on what makes you stand out and talent evaluation and how you shift from being in that technical role to more of a leader type role. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation we did with him. I think y'all are going to get a lot out of it. And with that, I'm going to stop rambling and cut to the show. Hey, Martin, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on here. Uh, so our first question for you is a little bit about your early life. Uh, you're from Germany. Uh, can you tell us more about where you grew up, what you did as a kid, uh, those kind of things, little background.
2: Right. So um, I grew up in, in northern Germany, actually. So near between Hanover and Hamburg. It's yeah pretty far up in the north. I uh, spent my my whole life there kind of until I started studying. So tried a lot of different things, different sports. Um was actually in a circus for ten years and learned how to juggle and unicycling, all the kind of awesome stuff that you uh, want to learn when you're a child. We're after
1: a great start, gotta say. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> gonna have
2: to deep dive on that. <laughs> I usually that don't is... tell anyone that's you know the the two tooth one that I think? That's when I put it in there. Mm-hmm. that's
0: okay that is not something that I knew before this interview started. Yeah, so you can't you can't
2: find that on my LinkedIn profile.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: okay. Yeah, I did that for uh, more than ten years. So I actually had my first, um, let's say, live on stage uh, situation when I was seven in front of two thousand people. So that was oh my pretty goodness. early, I'd
1: say. Mm-hmm. Doing what? Juggling? Unicycling? Just kind of? Yeah,
2: and I had it. It was like a, a theater circus thing. So it was not just art, like artistic stuff but also like a theater. So I was actually Mm -hmm. talking and speaking and you have the juggling and unicycling stuff.
1: So how do you get into the circus? did you get kidnapped or it's a family thing
0: or my,
2: my, my sister started it so my sister's four years older and she started it and i just uh, followed her like every little brother does sure when you say <laughs> she
0: started she she just like started doing it or she founded yes. a circus at 11 <laughs> no, so, no, no, she, she joined Entrepreneur. so it was a,
2: a youth youth circus so hard to say for german youth circus and uh, she started doing it and uh, yeah i just followed her basically
1: That's awesome. She quit. She quit like a year after. And And I stayed for a full decade. Yeah. Okay.
2: That's right. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. Um, that's what I, what I mainly did as a, as a young child, uh, was pretty good at it. So two years after I was part of an international youth circus, um, and that's maybe a little, it's a fun fact. That's why I'm telling you guys, because as a, as a child, I was super scared of actually leaving my house, like missing my parents. I was, mm-hmm. I don't know, scared little child. And, uh, if you would have asked me back then, or probably even as a teenager, if I would ever travel the world, uh, would have been a big no <laughs> if you would have asked my parents or so. So, uh, things changed a little bit, but, uh, yeah, joined those international youth circus and got, uh, got to, to enjoy a lot of fun events, uh, even in, in, in the UK and uh, abroad. So that was pretty cool.
0: Um, so how many performances yeah. just like, oh. uh, you know, what? how many performances did you say that you did for in those 10 years? It's like one every week, probably, five a week.
2: I'd, I'd say probably 20 a year. Okay. Um, for 10 years.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's,
2: That's pretty two hundred. Cool. And you, uh, you also yeah. did martial arts, right? Right. So that started when I was, I'd say grown up, Okay. Uh, I think 19-ish. Um, by that time, when you would tell people that you're in a circus, people start laughing. So you just have to quit <laughs> at <laughs> one point. It gets ridiculous um, and you want to be all cool and everything. So I stopped that. And a friend of mine from school uh, was into martial arts, uh, traditional Kung Fu mm-hmm. and uh I like that. So I started, I tried it out. And uh, two years after, I became the Northern German and German champion. So you can see that if
1: I do things, I try to do them right. Absolutely.
2: Uh, with the circus, with Kung Fu, anything I do kind of.
1: Do you try to maintain those skills now? Like every so often practice?
2: A little bit more in my in my head, in my mind. And that's actually the most important thing to keep your reactions going. For Kung Fu? Um, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: the The mind triggers the the reaction really. Um, whereas they say you need about ten thousand repetitions for something to become a, a natural reaction. Mm-hmm. So if you're dodging or something, that you have to practice that about ten thousand times. But if you do it in your mind, that's when you have like, even in the in any, in any kind of martial arts, you have those shadow fighting situations, and that's just preparing your body and your mind to trigger certain moves. And that's what you can still do, but I basically stopped doing it actively when I started studying. Okay, no more time, and uh, there were I was looking into different gyms um, to do it, but I didn't find one that I really liked.
1: Okay, and so where did you end up going to school? Was it in Germany or? Right. Yeah, I started. Uh, so
2: school was completely in Germany, northern Germany to mm-hmm. be precise. And then for studying, I went to Constance, which is right like five minutes to the border to Switzerland. So it's okay. the most Southern German point, if you want to say so. Yeah.
1: But then you, you're studying something about China.
2: Right. So my study for my bachelor's was called um, Asia Management and Business Administration, mm-hmm. if you want to translate it directly. And that was a seventh semester bachelor, so three and a half years but you had to stay in China for a whole year. The whole thing started basically with the Kung Fu thing. So at one point in the in the temple I was studying Kung Fu, uh, Professor von Hannover came to the, to the Kung Fu temple and said that he's going to offer some uh, language trainings. So I took that opportunity and started learning Chinese on my own with the professor uh, from Hannover. And I kept that enthusiasm about the language and kind of the culture. And I was always very interested about chinese politics so that interest
1: basically forced me to study chinese in the end sure yeah so then how did you uh, go from that to kind of getting started with daimler is that not kind of a one-to-one or you have a couple of things in between I, I had a lot of things in between actually so
2: my, my study time was very interesting the bachelor's was the best time i ever had so if you're still studying enjoy the time embrace the time it's amazing you, you're broke but you have a lot of Fun, (laughs) I'd say, (laughs) and time. Um, So after, let's start. So the first year of studying was hardcore because they have like a selection semester. You only have 40 people who are allowed to study. So it was very limited and they sort out about 50%. And I can, uh, a little spoiler here, we we finished the study with seven people. So very limited course. And so the first year was just studying. And then after that, so in a basically second year, I started three jobs at the side. One with the one was with a consultancy, um, and again with similar as with the circus and kung fu, I got pretty good at it and was voted into the uh, board of management there. And uh, at the age of twenty-two, I was leading eighty people with real projects and real money, and we had a pretty decent hourly pay. That's how I paid all my travel. That is about that I'm about to tell you, absolutely, uh, in a few minutes. So that was pretty cool and time, but we, I, learned, I learned so much and I can only recommend anyone. If you have the opportunity like you did with your entrepreneurship classes,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and if you have the opportunity to do something, to start something, to learn something in the real business world while still studying, I can only encourage everyone to do it. That was the best time. Um, so then up for summer school kind of in the third semester, we went to China for the first time. So I was in China with knowing the language at least. So right now I would have probably wished to visit China once before knowing the language um, okay. just to see how it is. Um, but that was the first time being in China. So we actually took the Trans-Siberian from Moscow. So the train that runs from Moscow to Beijing. Oh, that's a pretty long and, uh, way, isn't it? Wow. Uh, yep. Took about three weeks to uh, yeah, basically take a plane from Hanover, fly to Moscow, spend a few days in Moscow. And then we had, I think, three weeks time to travel all about like along Russia, uh, Mongolia. We did one of the most, like the most interesting experiences in Mongolia. Uh, Let me know if you want to hear more about that. That that was a country that I completely underestimated. It is five times the size of Germany. So Germany has about 80 million inhabitants. Mongolia has 2 million. Out of those two million, one million live in the capital, Ulan So you have about one million people, and uh, in an area that is five times as big as Germany. So that was the population. Pretty amazing. The
0: city is low. Right. It's the lowest it's in the world. Low. Actually, it's the super lowest in the world. I saw yes. that
1: on yeah. uh, some thing I was doing like yesterday. And,
2: and that's the reason why I completely underestimated it. It, I thought it's okay. It's going to be a lot of grass, which, mm-hmm. quite frankly, it is. It's a lot of grass and cows and horses, kind of thing. <laughs> But we took um, the opportunity, so we, we, we grabbed three Jeeps and we were driving around in, in Mon- Mongolia. We had a translator and two drivers um, because without drivers you're basically lost because no navigation works there and without translator as well. So we had to knock on doors of the tents of the people who are living there and see if we can actually stay with them and spend our like, day with them, which was super amazing. So many awesome people and you just knock on their door of their tent And uh, you have fun with them. You eat with them. You drink with them. You eat a lot of dry meat because they eat tons of meat over there. So like kind of beef jerk, (laughs) but traditional style. (laughs) And uh, that was a very funny situation. So we knew that we had to, money doesn't really matter to them. So we had to bring alcohol and cigarettes, right? So it's basically like a World War II situation. Everybody's trading with alcohol and cigarettes. That's what we did. And there was one situation that I... That i'll never forget when you're welcomed into the tent you have to drink those this this, this old goat milk it's basically yeah. fermented milk and it turns into alcohol and that's what they drink so they gave us a cup and we had to share it so the most nasty thing i've <laughs> never i mean you don't want to drink that um so it, us being nice people knocking on their door. We obviously wanted to offer something to them as well. So my friend brought something from home, which is liquor, 60% alcohol, self-made. And we gave it to the chief of the house. And we didn't know the rule that the chief of the house has to empty the glass. So we did the same thing. We took a full mug of this high percent alcohol, Mm -hmm. gave it to him. He chucked it down. And (laughs) I've never seen a person so wasted.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this is amazing. You got this awesome. total stranger who's welcoming you into his house yes. for the
2: night too. Oh uh, uh, So drink. awesome. He, he regretted he regretted that we we knocked on the door. I can he tell you. He just
0: chugged hard liquor in front of you. <laughs> he yes. A like,
2: whole cup. A whole cup. It was of straight moon
1: China. Oh my
0: goodness. Oh yes.
1: Oh yes. That's pretty
2: funny. But overall, my, Mongolia was pretty awesome. You have a lot of so grass, long, But you have desert there. We had ten days in Mongolia. Okay. That's completely awesome. underestimated country. And then we went to China for summer school. Um, and uh, I told you, yeah, you were asking about China. So actually, um, that was my first encounter with China. Pretty mm-hmm. interesting. We had a long transition time to go in there. So Russia, Mongolia, we were basically all mixed up with different cultures and impressions. And then we came to China. So it was not as overwhelming as it would be when you would fly to Germany, like fly, fly from Germany directly, for example. And uh, yeah, then one semester back to Germany and then I spent a full year in Shanghai. Uh, awesome city, awesome people. Um, you would probably expect that Chinese people are very different from Western cultures, but if you really get to know them and the culture is really not that different, I'd say it's probably with most cultures. Mm-hmm. If you ever go abroad, you've been to Thailand or mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, you probably if you, if you get to know the people, you probably realize that the world is not
0: that different. Nah. Mm-hmm. Were you studying in Shanghai or? or yes. So
2: it was, I was both actually. So it was one semester studying and one semester working.
1: Okay. So then what did you do after you finished that?
2: After that, I went back to Germany, did another uh, internship for the first time with Daimler actually, okay. uh, in expat management. So I was helping people who were going abroad just because I have like, I just came back from China. So you're so a German so. who's
1: done a lot of traveling
2: and exactly. Mm-hmm. Um did that for half a year and then I started my master's degree in international business with a focus on cooperation management. So technically um, I should have worked or end up working in an area that is focused on cooperations in China
1: mm-hmm.
2: or with Chinese companies. and uh, after my master's degree, I was hired into Daimler, Um, which was HRIT systems. (laughs) It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why they hired me into this, but uh, I of course said, yes, it was an awesome opportunity for me. (laughs) Um, And it was with the career program. So that's a management trainee program where they send you abroad and um, to different departments every three months. So compared to some of your previous podcasts that you did, I have a more, I'd say... uh, normal entry into work life. It's a little bit <laughs> odd that I didn't, didn't end up doing something that is um, really focusing on my degree, but really just started straight away with a big company. And uh, I got to know like mm-hmm. you with the co-op program that you have in, in Tuscaloosa with Mercedes, mm-hmm. something similar on a, on an international level.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and I think they have the, they, or at least they had the career program at MBUSI.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just switched to something else. But that's what Mm. I basically did. And my first assignment, my international assignment was basically in in Tuscaloosa.
1: Okay, that makes sense. So then you chose to stay longer because you liked it or as a good fit? Or how did did that happen? Yeah, so after I finished the career program, that was about one and a half years in total.
2: um, I worked in Germany for a little bit less than a year. And then Tuscaloosa uh, reached out to me and asked me if I want to come over for three years. And I obviously said yes.
0: So what surprised you about Alabama? I just I just, just came back about say just finished four three weeks years ago. ago.
2: Right. Yeah. I just landed back about four years ago. Uh, four weeks ago, sorry.
1: Yeah. So Carl's wow. from Alabama.
0: Carl's from yeah, Birmingham. I'm, I'm from Birmingham. From I Birmingham. lived here my whole life. Yeah. So it's it's crazy to me, even like Lewis coming here from Las Vegas. I I can't imagine landing from Germany. Uh did anything surprise you or stand out to you about uh, Tuscaloosa and Alabama that's different than anywhere else that you've been to?
2: So, obviously, I focused on the other half of the world for the last 10 years, kind of like, uh-huh. like yeah. China, Asia. And I didn't really know a lot about the U.S. And let's say everything that I know about the U.S. was from movies and TV shows and stuff, mm-hmm. Hollywood, basically. And I was actually very surprised. Um, probably by Alabama, like the the distance, um, how the the shops look like, that you have those big road, like massive roads and everything. Um, I probably expected more like, let's let's not say New York, that would be naive, but more dense, more crowded. And (laughs) Alabama is kind of the opposite. (laughs) Absolutely. That was pretty, pretty interesting experience. Um, But I remember that the first things, that were impressing me was really the, the whole traffic. I love to drive in Alabama. The roads are just, you can just keep going. Yes. Everything is super slow. I wish you can go like a hundred, 120 on that, on the highway. Um, but I like that you can actually turn right on the red light. That was super amazing for me. (laughs) You can turn right on the red light. That's amazing. Um, People were super friendly. I had a hard time with the dialect, with the accent actually. Um, yeah. I've, I've never heard anyone with an Alabama accent. So if you have a really hard, like accent, that was super hard for me to understand. Um, oh, it's so, it's so, it's so long ago. You should have you asked me got, three you years got, ago.
1: Yeah, you got, you got <laughs> used to it after three years. Exactly, and I haven't even lived ago. in Alabama for three years yet.
2: What was most shocking for you, Lewis? What? What was the most interesting, shocking experience in Alabama for you that you remember
1: from Las Vegas? That's a tough question because when I started out in Alabama, I really met very, very few people from Alabama in my first year of college. Uh, Just because the classes I was in, there were hardly any locals in them, um, like College of Engineering and all that stuff. And so by the time I started meeting people from Alabama, I'd already been there for a year. So it really didn't throw throw me off. Uh, It was kind of... The school is a very bad representation of the whole state, I think, because the school is like, first of all, a college campus is a bad representation of normal life anyway, uh, because it's only young people, and they're all there for similar reasons. Uh, So it's not like a broad spectrum of humanity. Uh, And then also, uh, the specific communities I was in just kind of represented people that are there for engineering school. So like going out and meeting people from – you know, from Alabama, especially like when I was trying to get involved in Greek life early on, some of them were, uh, I mean, they had that Southern accent and they kind of had that different, slower pace of life, but in general, it's, I mean, it's a pleasant place. I enjoy it. It's wasn't really shocking to me.
2: I guess. Uh, what was super weird for me to see is that you can actually use your car to do everything. So every store, even banks have a drive through I've never seen a bank in Germany having a drive through <laughs> <laughs> I like, what? And, and being a German, obviously, drinking on the street was not allowed back then. And now in Tuskegee, you have this small area where you can actually have a beer. Um, but for me, it's natural. Actually, when I when I got back to Germany, the first thing, I, I went to my balcony. I looked down I saw a couple walking by with just two beers and drinking. Just open containers, yeah. Exactly. So there's a few, those minor things, <coughs> sorry, those minor things make a, make a big difference when when uh, when they're gone or when
0: they're there Um, were you um shocked by the number of churches that that i would stand out to you at all
2: yes right good point yes yes germans i'd say are not very religious um the majority isn't so i go to church twice a year for christmas and for easter (laughs) kind of thing Uh, even though that my my sister is a, a pastor so well, that's interesting. She went from the yep. circus
1: to uh yes. pastor.
2: <laughs> right? Okay. But yeah, that's, being in the Bible Belt was a very interesting experience. And you, you can tell that people in general are more religious, I'd say.
1: Completely. Um,
2: a lot of people, when they... Say we had a couple of people leave work um, or leaving the city or leaving town, moving. And they were basically always referring to... God told me to go there and everything. That was super weird for me in the beginning. Um, and I, I got used to it, but yes, that's an interesting experience. Good point, actually. See, there's a lot of things I, I realize now when you when you tell me that it was very weird in the beginning. It was also weird for me, and that's the German thing, to be honest, was that you have like a veterans day where you celebrate the armed forces. And being German, we have the, the world wars on our shoulders too, right? <laughs> Um, if, if you tell somebody that you're a soldier, you, let's say you better not tell anyone you're not really respected. And that was something that was super weird for me to, to actually see. I think when I came to Tuscaloosa for the project in 2015, uh, I came on Veterans Day and I was like, what the hell is going on here?
1: <laughs> this is like your and first day. It's yeah. Like the- that
2: was the first day, but it, it wasn't very beginning. Um, and I, I realized that I, for me, it was super awkward, some Definitely. of those little things, yeah. But that's that tells you a lot about the culture as well. Yeah.
1: Definitely. I mean, that's another thing, too, you said about not being so surprised. When you had spent all that time in college and before and as a child uh, traveling to all these places, you're kind of used to things being different in places. So you're kind of used to just wherever I'm at, I'll figure it out and get by. And that's kind of the same way I was when I went to Alabama. I'd done a lot of summer camps in different places and done some other traveling. So it's like you kind of expect things to be different. And whatever it is, you'll just figure it out. I think now we'll get into some of the the roles you had at Mercedes because I think, uh, or especially at the plant in Tuscaloosa, because I think you had a pretty interesting role there because uh, I know when I was there as like, you know, an, you know, an intern or co-op, a lot of the conversations are like these, the kids that do those programs are say, you know, that you ask them what they want to do as a career and they say, well, I want to be an engineer for a couple of years so I can become a manager. And you kind of were overseeing a lot of that process, how that actually happens for people that... Do you know go into college for engineering, but really want to just end up in business? So, could you tell us a little bit about your role, and then we'll get into some specific questions about some advice or patterns you noticed from your couple of years doing that job? Yeah. So, right. So, in in
2: Tuscaloosa, I was responsible for organizational development. Whereas organizational development is a very big field, and I was really about um, sorry talent potential development, leadership development, and leadership assessment centers. And I was also supervising the whole yeah, lead processes, leadership evaluation and development process. So I had a lot of people, young talents, coming to me asking for career advice. Uh, I talked to managers, mentored even some managers, um, and basically was steering the process how we select new managers. So the whole uh, managing the whole talent pool and people that want to make the next step to becoming a manager. That's what I did for the last three years, and at the side, I tried to um, implement new innovative projects within the HR group and also within the whole plant. So one of the, I'd say one of the main things that I really can claim as a big success was actually building a talent and potential community within the company that have has not been there before so everybody was kind of loose huddling around in each team and i had the overview about who is considered as a talent or potential and i basically created a community where everybody can meet like in in person so through events and through sessions that i did like lunch and learn sessions and so on and having a digital platform like kind of a facebook but you can ask questions, exchange about topics, um, and I would share learning experiences, videos, and so on. So that was one of the major things that I, I'd say, accomplished over this, the, the three years, um, mm-hmm. along all those other administrative tasks.
0: Okay, sure. So how is talent, uh, like, decided? How, is it just people reporting about uh, performance and then it moves up and up and up all the way to you. And that's how you decide who, um, like, might be a manager one day or, or how does that work? So currently
2: the the system that Daimler has, so Daimler is the mother company of Mercedes. So Daimler has Mercedes and, uh, and Thomas Buses and so on. Um, has a standard process for that. And it's basically four steps. And right now they're reviewing it. So they're changing the process a little bit back and forth. And we'll see what we'll have in two or three years. But right now it's a four-step process. And it has been like that for the last 20 years. So you start with basically being on the same level. Then in your yearly review, so you have yearly reviews with your manager, um, you might get identified as, as a talent or potential and then you spend a lot of time learning. Hopefully your manager invests into you and you invest into yourself. And then you make it to the next step, which is basically one step. So it's one, one step before you are capable of becoming a manager. And then the last category is where actually people think that you are ready to becoming a manager and that entitles you to go to an assessment center. That's a one day assessment center with like different tasks. And after that, if you're confirmed in that process, you can apply to managers' positions worldwide actually. So it's a standard process for Daimler. So does Daimler hire any managers externally? Or I'd say very few. It happens. Okay. I'd say more on very high levels. Um because just the pool is very limited if you look mm-hmm. for like top managers. On the lower levels, you have I think that ninety point nine percent is the normal within the company career path.
1: Okay. So interesting. So how, how do you stand out in that talent pool then? So if you have, let's say, you know, 20 engineers who are at that level four status where they're, they've they all yeah. been deemed capable and they've passed the assessment, how do, what makes one stand out from another? For I think
2: and that's, it's a good question, especially for big organizations. So in this process, just to, to give you one more, um, a better understanding of the process, it's not just your manager. I mean, your manager basically triggers it with the review. You should always, active yourself. So you should voice that you want to go that certain route. I want to become a manager. What can I do? Who can help me, right? Search for mentors and so on. But you also should network with the other managers. So with the peers of this manager or with senior managers, because in the process that I just described, they will look at your evaluation as well. So it's not just your manager, it's the whole chain up to the vice president, basically looking at your potential. So they better know you. In the end, and it's with I say with any company, probably even more important with the smaller ones, but certainly as same like same importance for the big ones, it's about networking.
0: Who it's knows a, you? It's not about what you know, it's about who you know.
2: Most of the time. And quite frankly, I, I learned from the career program. That's that's the asset that I have. I have a, a huge network just because of the career program that I did, so the management trainee program that I did. And the different transitions that I had into all those different departments, I was very lucky that I was working in a, a leadership 2020. It was basically a transformation process, a cultural transformation process for the whole company worldwide. I got a huge network from that. And that's basically, I can, I can just with a finger snap, call someone and say, hey, you got this information for me or who can help me on this? And I can get all the information that I need in, in a split second. That's always super important. Now you need to know the you need to have the brain to make the connections and need obviously you need to know what you're looking for when it comes to technical things is even more important what you uh, that you know what you're talking about but networking for career advancement is very important
1: yeah so it's kind of I, it,
2: yeah I was gonna sorry. say
1: when we're kind of at that assumption that you know this pool of twenty potential people you're looking at they've all been deemed qualified from a technical standpoint yes so it's from that twenty yes. people that are all good enough engineers or know enough about whatever process they're going to be managing then what's that determining factor and it sounds like it's who they've uh demonstrated over their time in the company that they're competent and good at getting things done and who they've become friends with uh all of those things
0: yeah the brain is like a prere- prerequisite to uh being in that position even to be looked at so
2: right yeah it's basically three happen, three yeah. things that you you want to pay attention to um okay you want to pay attention so it's you should always embrace the opportunity so if somebody gives you an opportunity use it there's been very few moments where i actually had to decline um a project um for example in the career program they asked me to organize a conference in germany with about 100 participants but i was in the u.s i couldn't even look at the facilities so i say hey i'm not sure how i can do this mm-hmm. um so i that's the only project that i really turned down but everything else i just did it even with the US. They said, you want to come? Sure, I'm, I'm coming. So be positive and and use every opportunity that you can get, basically. Then always be yourself. Don't try to impress anyone. Um, I mean, that's just general advice for life, I'd say.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Um, and the last one is really connect with the people. And the, there's a simple simple rule that I have for it. And I maybe can compare it to when you're looking at an apartment. So I was in Germany, You everybody lives in shared apartments, probably similar similar to you guys. So we have those events where you invite 20 people and you have like one room to rent out and you're gonna take a look at 20 people and in the end, you're gonna decide who's gonna make it. Is it similar in, in Tuscaloosa? I'm not sure how that works. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna say no. Okay, <laughs> I
1: well, don't. Okay. You. well I then you're gonna learn something
2: about German I can't, study I can't say so so I've so. ever
1: had like a, a Hunger Games roommate match or whatever. <laughs> no, we have.
2: you have auditions. It's basically, it's, it's like a TV show. It's like an audition. So you have yeah, one this, room, is, uh, this is new. Yeah, everybody wants to have it. And it's basically, you can ask 90% of the, of the German students, it's, it's going to be the same, unless you can afford to have your own place. Um, so everybody lives in shared flats or shared apartments, and you have this application process. And that's what I learned. And that's probably the, the best lessons that you can learn in life through the process is you can watch other people asking tons of questions about the room and how expensive the heating is and what they have to do and if they have to clean every week and blah, blah, blah. So they're asking a lot of things about the contract and about the room. They're not asking about the people who actually live with them. That's Maybe it's a typical German thing, I don't know, very to the fact and to the point and what's in the contract kind of situation. But in those situations, I was the only person always connecting with my like roommates or future roommates um, or even with the landlord. Um, so then maybe to use the other example, if you're on the hunt for an apartment. So in Stuttgart here, we've been on a hunt for, looking for an apartment. We have the similar situation. So We have a lot of people who are interested in, in an apartment to rent or even to buy. And out of, let's say, five, I think, before we came to the U.S., five apartments that we looked at, we got five offers. So we were always the first choice. And here's why. You go to the landlord or to your future roommates mm-hmm. and you talk to them. They need to know you or they need to at least have the feeling that they can judge you, know you, who you are. If you just come in and ask questions about, okay, how expensive it is this, and what do we do here and here, they'll forget about you. They don't even know who you are. They might remember you, but they don't know who you are. So that's what it comes down to. In the end, you want to have a good network in the company, but you also want people to know who you are. That's how you can advance your career. That's how you can find an apartment. That's how people remember you. And I think that's most important for anything that you want to achieve. You want to be, you want to leave an impression.
0: Absolutely. I think it's also, um, you know, like a, a better way of living too. It's, it's not only going to advance your yourself toward your goals but you're going to enjoy the ride i think more yeah. if you yes. are connecting and and understanding other people and like choosing to do that rather than just being this 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 and this is what i have to do today and you right. know it's, the human even, aspect is very
2: important even today we 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 bought a car today so we okay. were looking at Janine my my wife yeah um she 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 um, yeah was looking for a car and yesterday at 11 p.m. She texted to one guy um, and he replied. So, yep, you can come by tomorrow at 11. So it's a bad time with the whole Corona situation. He basically said there's not a lot of people who are looking for a car. And uh, I, I I played the same principle. So I looked at the car I said, all right, that looks nice. So And then we ch- started chit-chatting. I was like, okay, what do you work and how are you doing and so on. And just started chit-chatting. And I asked a lot of questions about him. Talk a little bit about myself, so he knows who I am, mm. and in the end, we bargained him down. Um, I think for his original price was nine thousand five hundred. We, bar- we bargained him down a thousand, and he was just saying, "Okay, uh, you know what? You're so so nice. i my limit was 8- eight eight thousand eight hundred, but I'm gonna go with the eight thousand five hundred because you're just a nice person." Not sure if, that, if he was playing the game and he actually had mm. a very lower price, but we get, actually it's an, it's an Audi A3 for 8,500 euros with 30,000 miles on it. I just converted it. It's like brand new and it's a really, really good price. So I doubt that he, he had that price in his, in his mind when mm-hmm. we
1: came. So why are not you buy The real question is why you're not getting a Mercedes? Uh. <laughs> Well, let's, can you cut that out?
2: <laughs> we didn't, we uh, didn't find one that was, that was used. I'm not going to buy a new car in my age. Sure. No, we just want to have a used car.
1: No, you're being practical. It makes sense. Exactly. It's just funny.
2: No, but I think people, if, if you connect with the people and you don't care about why you are actually there. So obviously I was there to buy a car, but you make it a personal experience. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, as you said, you get along a life, uh, way better.
0: So we, um, in my family, we have a, a word for that. It's called The Blessing. That's what Anne Claire, she, she so actually was very on religious again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anne Claire was on with, with Callie a couple episodes ago. But um, every, every time she goes anywhere with Callie, like they're just super nice to people. They're like trying to get to know you and they always get stuff for free, whether it be drinks, food, yeah. clothes. Like it, it really is insane. Some of yeah. the stories they have to tell about just that principle, following it and and being nice and what you can get out of it.
2: I have another extreme um, example for that. So when we moved into this apartment, we didn't have internet. And we wanted to start a phone plans, so two phones and internet, and it wasn't working. So, right now, they have very few technicians who can actually, I'm not sure what they're doing, but to activate your account and mm-hmm. your cables and everything. In Germany, obviously, some technician has to come to activate the internet. <clears throat> we ended up, the guy gave us the card from the store that he uses to enter the internet and just said he's going to get a new one. So, we got the SIM card with a 50 megabytes. Wife, and uh, um, sell your connection with unlimited data from the store. He just okay. gave it to us and said, okay, use it for the next month and bring it back. Once your internet is activated, I've wow. never seen that happen. <laughs> so that was pretty nice. People are nice if you care about them and, uh, <laughs> Treating nice. That's uh, that's it. let's say
0: somebody is nice and gets to be a manager and and has networked his way up. How how do they become a senior manager? How do they elevate themselves even further? Right. So let's let's clarify.
2: Maybe one point. Manager managers or being a manager and being a leader is two different things. Definitely. So mostly for managers, they are managing their team, right? They're organizing the teams, they're structuring the teams, they're assigning tasks and so on. For senior managers, you need to have more like a vision and need to be more like a leadership kind of type. And that's, that's a big difference. So managers is managing the task and managing the team, but a leader is somebody
1: where people actually wanna follow. So then do you have a uh, like assessment process for that? Because, I mean, that's kind of a different skill set. Uh. Unfortunately not. And
2: that's just my personal opinion.
1: I mm-hmm. think there should be
2: another kind of gap, but, uh, sorry, let's say barrier, but it's hard to assess. It's really hard to assess. Even the, the assessment center that we have is only it, people judging other people is always a hard thing, especially when it comes to soft, soft skills. And then basically leadership is a big soft skill. hmm Um, But moving up, so in my opinion, managers and senior managers should, they not always do, but they should differ in the way that they're managing. So the ones are managers, ideally you have a manager who is a leader, but senior managers really should be leaders. And for me, what I think they need to do is, it's, it's basically two things. You need to have a vision of where you want to go and you need to be able to communicate it. And you need to be able to listen to your people and be very close with them. And then the last thing that you need to do is to involve them, actually. And I think a lot of managers are still in this, I tell you and you operate. So command and control operation mode. And as senior managers, you need to really be more visionary and then really work with the people so they want to follow your vision, Giving somebody a task is all right. I'm here. I'm basically. I'm getting paid, so I'm here to do the task. So it doesn't matter where it, where it's coming from, right? Here, get give me the task. I'm going to do it. If you want people to go the extra mile, that requires the leadership, and that is, in my opinion, that that is only possible if if somebody who is a manager and wants to move up is really working with the people to to follow him or her and to achieve something that is. Bigger than them, or a bigger project, or a, a better result than was expected. That's what it takes, in my opinion. You want to get there and you're going to execute it together with your team.
1: So, how do you develop yourself into that type of leader if you're not already intuitively doing those things, or uh, how do you increase your capacity to do those kind of things? I
2: think it takes. A, a, a few things what you need to have in my opinion in in my opinion quite frankly anybody can learn anything it just takes we've had a couple of of times right yeah Yeah. so
1: some people that's that's actually a good qualifier because so i was about to say we've had a lot of guests say that exact sentence i think anybody can learn anything but I like yeah. that you put on there that it's going to take a different amount of time for different people. Exactly. For some, it might take
2: 200 years. <laughs> <And> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately life is too short to learn something. Um, for others, it's just yeah, more natural or then they, they set the right focus. <clears throat> and that's something that is a, a qualifier for me. If you're willing to learn and that requires you to be reflected. So you know what you have to focus on. As long as you're willing to learn and you know what you want to learn, you're going to get very far in life. That's the one unique skill anybody should have in life basically. Um, so there's, if you ask me about things that you can learn or that you can, that you should have naturally, or that you can learn, there's certain techniques that you can learn how to talk to people, how to have a a crucial, critical conversation, um, different tools, how to develop people, different project management skills but you need to have the natural tendency to make use of it. So you can learn how to develop someone, but if you never have the natural tendency or interest in people to actually develop them, you're not going to apply those tools. And it's super hard for people who don't have the human social connection to, to get there and to apply those tools. That's, that's the sweet spot. That's the big difference. You can learn a lot of tools, but you naturally have to know when to apply them or you need to have mm-hmm. the urge to apply them. I like that. Uh, I mean, we can probably look at Mark Zuckerberg and uh, I'm not sure if he's the most social guy, which is ironic if you think that he built the biggest social network that we have in, on our planet. Um, not sure if he's an inspiring leader, but he certainly was very good with with his things that he did there. Um, and I believe other companies like Google, they they probably invest into their people. And at least it seems like they care. I mean, let's be honest, in the end, they have pools there for swimming and free food and everything, which basically makes everybody want to stay there, which is good for Google. So every good manager, naturally, if you care about employees, they're going to give you more back than you expected. Um, that's something that is a, is a good tendency. If you invest into your people, that's something that you can't learn, in my opinion. Okay. And that's why some of those companies are so so successful. Maybe they do it on purpose, but if you genuinely care about your people and invest in them, again, you're going to get very far, but you need to have the natural tendency, I think. You can probably still learn it, but I'm not sure if people really follow you if they think it's it's not genuine.
1: That makes sense. So let's uh, flip the script then for a second. What are some red flags or some like definite not-to-dos, things that kind of – when you do them, it puts you in a bad position or it comes off the wrong way or it kind of stops you. So those are yeah. all things you should be doing, things that make big you stand question out. Was. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah.
2: It's, it's pretty, pretty easy in the end, right? It's, 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 let's start with the opposite, that's the low hang, lowest hanging fruit. If you don't care about your people and you just wanna make a career because you're there for the big car and money, I'm not sure where you're gonna get. You might, um, it depends on the company. I think uh, some more traditional companies you might have a good shot of getting somewhere, but if your only goal is to build your ego and uh, have a lot of power, <laughs> I'd say you reach your limit pretty far. So that's a red flag for me if somebody's just in it for themselves and not for the people and not for the company or not for the vision. Um, it's probably the, the 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 biggest red flag. I'd and that's
1: say. pretty transparent for you. That's very easy for you to see when someone has that tendency or that's their motives, you can read that pretty quickly. I'd I'd probably be wrong if
2: I'd say yes, but I think you can, if you spend a lot of time with people and that's what the managers should do when they assess uh, potentials, you can see why somebody is doing it. Mm -hmm. I'd say say you can see it. If you spend a lot Mm -hmm. of time with people, there's always some people who can cheat the system and and fake it kind of thing, but that's the biggest red flag for me. Um, probably the the only biggest red flag that can be there. Sure. So it's actually a tough. <clears throat> it's actually a tough question. I'd say. In the end, mm-hmm. there's no there's no recipe. There's no formula, for especially for soft skills. That's what we talk about. Um, but if you have the right ambition, that's that's the best start.
0: I mean, you if definitely you can't be you can't be bad at your job though either. You know, yeah. It, it's like yeah. the the prerequisite is you have to have the brain for. Right whatever job you're in you have to be doing a good job in order to um have your your soft skills shine through you know good
2: point yeah i actually didn't consider that actually because that's a prerequisite if, if you're not good in your job you're not considered for for, for leadership let's yeah. say it,
0: yeah. yeah if you're if you're not good
1: at whatever uh department or whatever engineering task or other technical tasks you've been given you're not going to be trusted to right. oversee other people mm-hmm. doing that very thing that you're not able to do yourself so yeah that makes sense and
2: and another big point, and I mentioned that in the beginning is if you're not willing to learn and if you're not reflecting on your own behaviors, um, that's something that is is critical as well and if you're having if you're having the tendency to blame other people for your mistakes, it's also super bad. I had a few people coming to me and asking about career advice because they didn't have the feeling that their manager was investing into them, and they they deserve better, right. They're already, they're actually already a manager, but they didn't get a promotion yet, or they never were considered to be in the talent pool. And the first thing that I asked those people is, all right, what did you do? Like what? I said, you're, you're blaming your manager right now, basically. So you're asking, you're, you're expecting a lot from your manager to help you, to offer you big projects. What did you do? And most of the time they don't have any answer. They like, said, okay, what what are you working on right now? What was the latest book that you read on leadership? Um, did you ever raise your arm when there was an extra project? And usually the, the answer for those questions was pretty much no. And I had one guy there sitting there. We had a talk for one hour and he was like, wow, I feel so embarrassed right now. And I was like, that's, that, that's good. Cause that means you actually care. You just needed somebody else to, to point you in the right direction. And I heard from his manager that he really had a talk and said, Hey, sorry, I, if you don't have the time, I should just continue developing myself. And people expect other people to develop them and take time for them. But you can't take that for granted. You should always push yourself. And that's, I think, a good quality to have. And I think it's it's, it's probably not a red flag if you don't have this natural drive. It's certainly a red flag if you're not well reflected because then you can't really reflect how you are basically hurting other people or influencing other people. But if you have that natural drive – and you're pushing in the right direction that's another good point
1: yeah well it's that's so a you're big, asking
2: about red flags uh, so that, no that was a that was, popped, a, popped that was a,
1: a good point about uh, you know personal responsibility and ownership because i think you can like right. make make a little bit of a distinction there you're saying that guy who in their head was already thought they're a manager and was never given the opportunity to yes. uh demonstrate why he should be and But then what what did you do to prove to the manager that he should give you a shot? What did you do? Exactly. So some people might get lucky in the sense that they have that great manager who wants to just reach out to every team member and give them opportunities to prove themselves. But if you're not in that situation, that's not an excuse for not having come up with other ways yourself or having asked for them in the first place. You have to say that's, that's a big thing that I learned really about different cultures i mean we are
2: so wealthy we're so we're living in the developed world right we have all the opportunities but if you look to, to 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 students who were born and raised in a small village in Africa they don't have all those supplies but they're trying extra hard and they don't take a no for granted or they don't take it as an excuse I'm I'm poor I don't have access to whatever books even or a pc but that's that's inspiring when you travel that you see people with different prerequisites and just different life was just yeah they grew up in the wrong nation family whatever mm. and a lot of those people who have those natural drive push good reflection they they don't give up and that's i think something that you should never do as a manager you should never give up and you should never blame it on other people that's a, a red flag then um, if you blame your employee so yeah we got this task from from a higher manager but i couldn't execute cuz my my, my team member was sick or didn't care it's like oh, well then you do it <laughs> yeah make sure you make sure that
1: somebody does it kind uh, of uh, hold up Yeah. so that's that's a good discussion about kind of the leadership talent development side of things i was wanted to ask about the unconferences for a little bit because i know that was one project that you and i or i worked on with you at some point yes but yeah. is that a project you brought to mbsi yes right okay. yeah so, so can you tell us what that
2: is that basically developed from the trend, transformation process that we had within daimler um so an unconference, you, you know conference um you you're invited for a one two three days conference and you get an agenda like the whole schedule you have keynote speakers workshops anything and you have different sessions at the same time and you just choose the one that you like most and then you go there and you get something out of it or not so everything is organized and mapped out for an on conference, it's it's kind of the opposite. So the original idea is that you have a group of people, let's say 20, 50 people, and you have a time slot and a room or a few rooms or a building even or some space. And you have a blank schedule and you just ask the people what they want to talk about, what they want to discuss, if there's some certain knowledge that they want to share, if they have certain interests, and they can basically fill the time slots themselves. And then... Yeah, to be honest, in the end, they hope somebody shows up, but you're having usually more people than topics. So it works out pretty well. So the idea is to have a conference that's from the people for the people. Um, it's not set and it's not as sophisticated, but it's about interesting topics that the people that are participating care about. So I, I took the concept and basically boiled it down a little bit. So we had this one, one and a half, maybe two hour time slots where we in the first place reached out to other team members and asked them about what they're interested in. So what are the topics that you'd like to hear about, learn more about, discuss? And then we were basically looking for people who have teaching skills, interest, knowledge about this topic and asked them to host the session. Or we did it ourselves. So we spent some time, weeks, um, got into the topic and then just started a good discussion. Um, And then afterwards, so after we got all of the topics that were interesting to the other team members within the HR group, I basically used the opportunity to continue with those sessions and give it to the interns and co-ops and ask them if they have interesting hobbies, interests, if they learned something interesting in in school that they want to discuss about and uh, use that as an opportunity to develop the interns and co-ops and at the same time to get a different perspective for our hr colleagues because it's always good to learn different things from people who have a completely different mindset or perspective than you do
1: i mean that's a lot of our point with making the podcast is bringing in people with different perspectives who've done different things so we can learn from them and share that with other people but yeah. so are some of the favorite conferences that you put together facilitated or saw or some of the more successful and impactful ones mm-hmm. Uh, There's been really
2: three that are in my mind. One that I'm going to start off with an awkward one that was about mindfulness. Um, So about 2017, this whole Mm -hmm. mindfulness thing started like meditation and they tried to bring it into the workplace, be more cautious, uh, conscious, sorry, cautious, cautious, maybe too, but more conscious. And we had somebody from another group. So another department who was um, like a yoga meditation teacher in Tuscaloosa. And we invited her over to the HR group and he, she did a session. And it was i am mentioning, it it was a little bit weird for me because um, we were sitting in a room with candles and there was a big red glowing heart and music and the room was dark. And we were doing breathing techniques, like moving that's, your arms up, yeah. up and down really fast and basically <laughs> doing this. this doesn't sound, <laughs> I hope it doesn't sound too pervert what I just did, but that, that's basically what we did. So it was lit, very funny, that's why I rem- remember it. But the outcome was that she left the company and started building a business with that. So she's really into yoga and meditation right now. So uh, sorry. Uh, sorry. And uh, we got rid of an employee because we found something for her that she really likes doing, but that started off a completely different career for another human being. That was interesting. Definitely. And she's still doing that 2020. She's still doing that. Yeah. She, she's on TV shows and everything. You can look <laughs> her up. I'm going I'm to do a little shout out for her. So any class is her name and she's, she moved to the beach now. Uh,
1: Wow. You just, you just, you got this (laughs) woman started. You got her started. You said, Hey, you want to teach this group of HR people about meditation.
2: And she was very passionate about the topic and we just kind of invited her over and this started a lot of things. And then there were two other ones. Um, one with you Lewis about productivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty cool for me. There were a lot of techniques tools that I didn't know about before and uh, that I now know about. And you basically raised my interest. It was a good time for me as well. Cause I just started reading the book, the, the four hour work week
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, it was really super interesting for me. And I even got a little chunk to present about like outlook and, and everything and how to be more effective and efficient with different tools. Uh, that was really cool for me personally.
1: So thanks Thank you. for that. Appreciate it. It's fun putting it together.
2: Yeah. And the last one was about HR trends, which was really cool to see because you could see that there were so many trends and interesting things and visions of how to work in the future that my colleagues probably have never heard about or thought about deeper. And you could see them thinking about it. And it was basically cool to see that they got a different perspective from this just one and a half hour session enlightening them what's out there, basically.
1: I like that. Cool. Uh, so what about some, we talked about some cultural differences just in society, right? Uh, you know, churches and going out and drinking on the streets. But uh, what about some cultural differences kind of in corporate culture between German workplace, American workplace? And NBUSI is interesting because it's a German-American, American-German workplace. Okay. Wow, I'm going
2: cool. to start off with, with what we discussed um, before Kyle was actually joining the... Definitely the the call here. Um, So I'm German, right? Definitely. And I prepared I I prepared six pages of written notes in Word, so not handwritten, but six pages of notes just for this podcast. (laughs) So you send me a list of different questions, and I prepared six pages, and that's basically a big big cultural difference. So Germans, if if you get a project in Germany, this is what you do: you plan, then you plan, then you plan, then you plan then you map it out and then you execute it perfectly. And in in the US, at least my experience with the company that I work in is you look at it and then you just figure it out. So you just start doing it and you don't make a lot of like strategy and plan or you just work with the flow kind of thing. You're more risk-taking, I'd say. And that's something that was very inspiring for me. I was completely thrown off by it because I was like, no, you need, to, you need to have a plan. You need to know what you're going to talk about. Um, but it was kind of the opposite. So somebody got a project and they just started doing it and figuring, figuring things out along the way, I'd say, um, yeah, as you can still tell by my six pages in front of me, uh, I like to map things out and plan. And that's probably what I learned from my culture here. Um, that was probably one of the things that I noticed the most. Definitely. That Germans need a lot of structure, a lot of, and it goes with safety hand in hand. Um, a lot of people in the US inspired me to be more risk-taking, and that's basically my biggest learning from my time in the US—that I should take more risks. And that's probably what I would tell my 20-year-old self: take more risks, be more, be, don't be afraid of life. Basically, don't be afraid to fail. Um, I think it's gotten way better now in Germany, but we don't have the best failure culture. If you're if you're in a meeting and you say something wrong, you will be corrected, and it's embarrassing for you. I mean, I wouldn't hesitate to, that's another thing in work culture, I would never hesitate to correct my supervisor, like in public. If no, doesn't doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I, I try to do it in a polite way, but I would say hey, this is wrong, or hey, this actually happened in a different way. And I think in the U S it's not as common to definitely not do that. Like even in school with the teachers, you would just argue with the professors at university. I would just argue, you know, I read something like this, like, and this is different than what you're telling us. So am I wrong? Are you wrong? Are we just looking at different angles? What's happening here? And you would just start a big discussion or you would just say, okay, at your point, I disagree. Um, that's something that I think is completely different even in, in work
1: culture. I mean, especially, especially, in, the, especially in the South, right? Yeah, especially in the South. Yes. Wants, wants to be polite and friendly uh, and non-confrontational.
0: Being yes. confrontational is one of my favorite things to do.
1: <laughs> really? It's
2: good. We would get all, yeah. along. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that you hear about the German culture. You see two managers like in a room and you see that papers flying around. They're, they're screaming at each other and then say, all right, time's up. You want to have a beer and have a drink kind of thing. It's, I mean, that's the extreme, but it, it is like that. I don't, I don't care if somebody argues with me or challenges me. Um, that's something that I noticed about the cultural differences in, in general. We are m- more about the, the arguments and if somebody has a good logic that you can follow and you want to prove the facts. Um, in the beginning, if you're a consultant, everybody will question what you do and you have to explain and justify. And once you've proven that you have good arguments or good logic, then you will, you will be respected as the expert. Whereas my, my feeling is that in the U S it's more about the person in the beginning. It's all about feelings, exact feeling. You build up the credibility by showing mm-hmm. what you've done in the past. And for me, it's like if somebody comes with this big CV resume and tells about all their certificates, what they have. It's okay. It's like, now, now you, you show it to me. Basically you need to show it to me. I don't mm-hmm. care about the paper. Um, that's something that I I think is a little different. Sometimes you can I mean I don't want to go there, but you can even see it in politics. That if you look at how elections are won, it's basically it's it's you make the other person look bad <laughs> and yourself look good. Mm-hmm. Um, digging in the mud a little bit. And in German politics, it's really about okay, what are your political arguments? And I don't care how many affairs you had or how many kids you have or if you're gay or not or whatever. It's really about the the content there. Well, things are pretty messy nice. here. <laughs> <laughs> they're 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 pretty bad yeah, uh, it's it's just something that i think is very interesting it's just a different it's and it's mm-hmm. nothing it's it's not, not not bad it's just a different focus you focus more on the person and you want to see the character of the person whereas we kind of ignore that that's not not good either but we focus more on what the person is doing Talk like the the facts of the, the, policy line, or... the plan is the policy the agenda let's say that's very, interesting. and I can see that in work life as well. Sometimes I was very confused when people came up, and like I have those certificates, and I have I'm a master in this, and I'm super good in this, and then you ask one question, they don't, they they can't answer. It's like, all right, you're not the expert for me then. Yeah, it's a very interesting experience for me.
1: I like that a lot, though, being able to uh, back it up versus kind of having that expectation that since you have a great resume, you're entitled to the next thing.
2: Yeah. It goes, it goes back into workplace culture, um, into, to hierarchy basically as well. So say in the U S it, hierarchy is more respected still. And in Germany we, we have a more f- like flat hierarchy.
1: Mm-hmm. The challenging your superior, not really being a big deal versus being kind of taboo. Yeah. 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 It's more bottom up. Yeah.
0: Sure.
2: Which is, which is quite it. And, and, to be frank, it was very confusing for me in the beginning because we have like this big open office space and you have everybody sitting Mm -hmm. together and everybody goes by first name. And in Germany, I would address them the last name. Um, so it's more visible, let's say in Germany, because you have this closed offices and if there is a, a glass door, then that's for the employees. And if it's a wooden door, then somebody higher up kind of thing. Um, but, in the way we communicate, I think things are a little bit different.
0: That's interesting. that was yeah. very
2: confusing for me in the
0: beginning. I think that in America, though having the or having the um, the balls to stand yeah. up to the people like will get you a lot farther than just cowering down like people don't mm. expect you to do it, but if you do do it, like nothing bad really happens. I don't think I think more good comes out of being. Um, confrontational and being willing to stand up and say and speak your mind
2: yeah um, it always depends on the other person <laughs> but yeah definitely.
0: Well, that's true yeah
2: but i think in just from the school system and then basically to translate back to work we are challenged to challenge each other from very early on you have to mm-hmm. justify a lot of things yeah.
1: mm-hmm. and discuss all right. Well, that's uh, that a pretty good discussion there about the, uh, kind of the more work thing. So I think we'll shift into the last part of the conversation, which is the kind of just bonus round, grab bag questions. Uh, so the first one is about your YouTube channel. So you just started a YouTube channel, right? Uh, it's in to, German though. So it's in German. So, uh, maybe you'll share this with some of your friends and they'll be able to watch it, but I watched it with the English subtitles, uh, which YouTube auto generated, which were pretty good, but what's your channel about? What are your goals for it? What do you want to communicate? So I'm in the very early stages, like similar to your
2: podcast. I probably have 10 videos out there or 11 mm-hmm. now. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, my, my concept changed a little bit. I started off with personal finance. Um, yeah, because that's last, what you told
1: me when we talked last about it, like in January. Yes, exactly. So the last two and three years, I really was reading
2: everything I could get about like ETFs and stock market and Bitcoin and everything. Um, and I thought about doing a, a YouTube channel um, in Germany about that. It's pretty smart. But... Again, I, I haven't been in Germany for the last three years, so there's been a lot of YouTubers doing that already and doing it way better than I could do because they really studied finance and everything. And it would be just my personal journey. And uh, I thought it would be probably boring at one point, so I switched a little bit to to mindset, productivity, minimalism. That's my new little hobby. Um, and just, yeah, record my, my journey along the way. That's that's basically what I'm doing. Just a, a guy trying to figure out how to be a bit more productive, Uh be a bit more cautious about what he's consuming um, in terms of media, but also in terms of things that I'm buying and how to be a bit more productive
1: in life. That's that basically was triggered by you. So the productivity I appreciate, thing. That. I appreciate <laughs> that. Have you uh, noticed that you've been more productively or what's been your, yes. Yes. I've been more focused. Yeah. What, uh, what could be in a change of environment, right? You just changed from being in America to being in Germany. So a change of environment is always a trigger for, change in habits and change in behavior. But what do you think, uh, what do you saying is responsible for this relatively productive phase you think you're having? I see the, the
2: environment is very important. Whereas right now I'm sitting in a, in a room filled with boxes because we're not finished moving and <laughs> it's disturbing for me, but it's for me, it's just the, the, the curiosity to try to be more focused. Let's say I'm more cautious about our disruptions. So I'm using a few tools just to focus app on my phone to Blur out everything that could be distracting. Um, that's helping me to focus, obviously more. But it's just the, I want to focus more. It's just about the mindset, the attitude that I want to focus more. That it's, a, con- it's a conscious
1: choice. It's a conscious choice now.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Right now, I'm sitting down for the next hour to talk to you guys. Mm-hmm. No disruptions. No distractions. I decided that, and it's gonna. I'm just gonna execute it. That's
1: that's it, really, for me. Even. I think that even had like a kind of German flair to it. The. I've decided this is how I'm going to spend my next hour. Okay, I'm going to spend my next hour this way. <laughs> Maybe it is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't Whereas know. I got to say there's a lot of Americans or like people who do that. I mean, look at Elon
2: Musk. He's the guru for that kind of stuff. So. <clears throat> Amazing well, he's from like South that.
0: Africa. so
2: it's, Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's living in America right now.
0: So. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs>
2: for me, he's American.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that uh what about your your travel vlog do you pl- plan to keep that going, or is that more uh- and I probably will for whenever I'm spending more time abroad,
2: so it was definitely not the last time that we' are abroad for a longer period of time. Um, it was just an awesome experience for me to do, so just a little heads up or let like little um, um information about that, so I started a travel vlog when I came to the u s and it's just the reason that I've took tons of pictures in China. But if you take like 10,000 of pictures, you're never going to look at them again. So I decided to do vlogs instead. So I record things that I think are interesting, comment a little bit on it or just film the shot um, because I think it's beautiful, whatever it is, and uh, put it together in a nice video because I'll spend those five minutes to, to watch the video rather than scanning through thousands of pictures. So it's just in the, the format changed. Um, and I'm going to continue doing that whenever I think something is interesting for me. Um, but I'm definitely not going to do it in Germany, probably more when I'm,
1: more when I'm abroad. Well, maybe in Berlin since you've never been there. (laughs) Maybe in Berlin. Berlin. Well, Berlin is a different culture as well. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so what would you say, uh, actually this is another good question I have here. So kind of with the productivity, the reading, and also with leadership 2020, you had a lot of kind of little catchy sayings and, uh, little blippy sentences for motivation or inspiration or leadership. So what'd be some of your favorite, one of those little one-liners for. Do, do you remember some? Oh, I remember like the color scheme and the font. Like I have like a picture in my head of the posters, <laughs> but like the, the, the actual words aren't coming to me, but you had like the stack next to your desk of like a thousand of these little handout motivational flyers for the, you know, leadership cultural transition. The yeah. company was trying to put on for 2020. What were some yep. of the best ones for that, either from that or your, your personally that you like to live by or remind for yourself? For me personally, of? Um, and I mentioned already that I... I remember one. We had the busy versus productive one. That was right. One. But that wasn't good. from that. That wasn't from that. No.
2: Right. Um, for me, one that is really important, um, and I mentioned that I want to be more risk-taking is the um, failure is part of the progress. So that's always more about the progress than perfection. It's also a good one. It's more about progress and perfection. And that's the thing, right? Germans plan, plan, plan. You want to have the perfect plan and execute it. Um, but it's more about the progress than yeah, perfection in the end. Perfection, Perfectionism is impossible to accomplish because when you look at things, when you did something, you think it was perfect, you look at it the week later and it's, <laughs> you find yeah. 10 things that you could
0: improve. Perfectionism so is an impossible. asymptote.
2: Exactly. It's, it doesn't work. Um I thought about it actually because I um, read the question that you gave me. Um, I usually have all those sayings in my brain when, when the situation occurs, but there's one thing that really shaped my life, and that's basically a Chinese saying that I want to share with you. Oh, dear. And that, is, that is called An Feifu. It's, it's a story of Sai Weng Ma. Sai Weng is the name of a, of a guy, so an older guy living at the border. But the story behind it is so powerful to me and how I look at life. Um that I really think about it like every other day, really. Even yesterday I thought about it and I ch- chatted about, about it with my wife because she studied Chinese as well. So um, it's it's a story of a, of an old guy living at the border and he has a horse and his horse runs away. So it's a small village. He needs a horse for plowing and things. So horse runs away. Everybody of the village comes to him and is like, oh, he starts crying. How How bad that your horse ran away? And he said... I don't know. And that basically means I don't know if it's good or bad. Oh, and it's very okay. powerful for me. So he says, I don't know if it's good or bad. So everybody's about, it's so horrible. Now you have to do it on your own. So two days after the horse comes back with a female horse and it's like, see, now I have two horses and the whole village again comes together, starts celebrating like, yeah, now you have two horses. How great. See, you said that you don't know if it's good or bad, but it turned out to be great. And he still keeps saying, so I don't know if it's good or bad. So two days after, his son rides the female horse and falls down and breaks his leg. So now his son can't help on the field. And then again, the whole crowd, like the the village comes to him and says, well, how bad, now your son has a broken leg, you have two horses now, but your son can't help you. So everybody starts crying again and and shouting, and he again says, I'm not sure if it's good or bad. So then the war breaks out uh, at the border and all of the young men, are pulled into the, the army, but his son can stay at home because he has a broken leg. And everybody says, hey, how great is that? And he again says, Ansefeifu. That's basically where the story ends. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. And that's the story of, of, of life, I think. You don't know if, if if great things are actually that great or can lead to something that is actually not so great or things when you think you're really down and, and life pulls you down, um, you can rise from it again and things can be even better than before. So I think that's something that helps me to overcome times when I struggle or when something bad
1: happens that you never know what comes from it, and that's you don't one of know the most it, you don't powerful know if it's good or bad. statements. Exactly, that's I really, that's. A, I really like it's, that. That's very stoic as well. That's something. I mean, Kyle and I like to talk about a stoicism and one of the yes. which is like the, you know the Roman ancient philosophy system yes. and one of the central tenets of that is that things aren't good or bad; they just are. You know, it's kind of objective objective vision of the world. So. Yes. whatever happens in the world didn't happen for good or for bad. It just is. And yes. the judgment is all internal. So whether you judge it or good as bad is all up to you. Uh, that's
0: what favorites. I like about it. Yeah. One of my favorites is like, um, at some point in the future, you'll be so grateful that um, like about where you're at, that you wouldn't want to change anything that happened in the past.
2: Yes. Yeah. And usually you rise or you learn more from the bad experience, experiences mm-hmm. because they push you to become a better human definitely yeah. we might I, have I to like that one so much that's uh
1: yeah we're gonna have to ask you for the uh to text us the characters for that so we can put in the show notes in chinese otherwise we'll just be <laughs> put down some terribly transliterated english chinese in there <laughs> uh, so that's pretty cool so i think a good that's a great place we could wrap it up but one question that i probably probably prepared for since i had it and you'll have a good answer uh, are some of your favorite books that you've read uh, past couple of years, this could be fiction. They could be personal finance. They could be productivity minimalism. Yes, uh, so
2: I, I have four books on my list, and uh, I, need um, to I be that, that, <laughs> and Of course, I did. Of course, I did. So the, the two ones that you talked about in your um, in your podcast about books is Rich Dad Poor Dad. That basically started the whole interest in investing for me, um, because again being German, I was very risk averse and uh, I didn't want to put any stocks into my stock market. Even I told my mom about it and she's like, you're crazy, don't invest into a stock market. It's like so risky and everything. It's like, hey, if you invest long term, you're, you're pretty, pretty good off usually. And mm. what alternatives do we have? So that started the whole interest for me, which I put at, then the four hour work week and that forces me to be more focused, I'd say. Um then there was one that I, I just translated the title and That that's called Neighbor China Nachbar China is the original title uh from Helmut Schmidt he was the former German president uh, or chancellor and he it's 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 a book in German but I think it was translated into English it is a book that summarizes all of the international relationships that China has and how they do business, how they do politics, but on a really deep level from a guy who started it all basically. So he was one of the first, He was, I think he was the first German chancellor flying to Beijing and he had a very smart sense for politics and he wraps it all up in this book, very inspiring. And you have a good understanding for the Chinese culture afterwards. And then one personal one, uh, Zidata, um that's awesome also a german book. title yes and uh, what was awesome book translate to I'll, that? I'll, I'll send it to you
1: okay yeah.
2: <laughs> and that's it's it's the name of a character basically uh, and it's okay. it's about buddhism so it's about a, a guy in india um basically becoming buddha let's say that's a long story short but it's very inspiring very well written and it really lets you dive deeper into your mind and your soul let's say sorry i I'm usually not that I'm not sure how to describe it. Um, Ethereal. We love it though. Yes, but it's very, it was really, very enlightening for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, So what's next for you personally, professionally, like, you know, this YouTube channel might take off. Are you still at Daimler?
2: Yes. Well, obviously right now I'm on a, uh, I'm starting back in June I think so I have a lot Mm. of time so because of the corona crisis we are not at work so that's a good thing about the German social system I'm still getting paid 80% but uh, I'm not working for it (laughs) but we're starting back in June and uh, I have an awesome project so working on performance management and how we evaluate performance Uh, because again soft skill evaluation is tricky so I'm working on that super challenging task and um, yeah, personally, I'm trying to dig deeper into minimalism productivity and trying to document the journey with my YouTube channel. Yeah, Just a, a fun side project. I love filming and so I think it's a cool thing to combine those hobbies. That's my, my personal thing.
1: Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this interview. Uh, we got a lot of really good stuff in there and I, especially about the. I mean your career stuff, your earlier life. I f- kind of forgot about the circus and was re reminded of it. That was a funny. <laughs> great way to start things off. But I uh, hope you make the most of the next couple months you have with these projects. And if you're studying productivity as the projects, I'd expect you to be able to get a lot done. Uh, <laughs> right. Otherwise, we got some. Uh, there's a bit of a some irony there. That might be- see, I have a lot of I have a lot of planning to do first. You have a lot of planning to do first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, cool. No, well, I'm executing. That's what I learned. Just do it. Perfect. All That's right. Great. We'll we'll
2: wrap it up there. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And that wraps up our interview with Martin Pelkey. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is by recommending
1: it to a friend or leaving a rating or review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Please follow us on social media. If you want more updates, we can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Show, or on Facebook by searching for the Lewis and Kyle Show. Thank you so much and we'll see you in a couple days with the next episode.